who likes to dream? Like, like literal, like when you're asleep dreaming, not like dream of a great future, but like when you're asleep dreaming. Anybody keep a dream journal? Good. Um, uh, just kidding. Uh, uh, but you know, something interesting about dreams for me, have you ever had the experience in a dream where you are trying to run, do something physical, and you just can't? Has anybody ever had that? Like a few, like a couple weeks ago, like I was asleep, and I was, of course I was asleep, that's when I was dreaming, and I was dreaming, and in my dream, like there was something always happening to my right, but my arm was stuck like this, and I could never like turn to them, like it was always just happening over there. And I was like, and, and I woke up and I was sleeping like this, and I think that's why. But, or like, you know, like fighting, I've always been so frustrating. I, I have fighting dreams fairly often, and I'm like slow motion punching, and they're not slow motion punching, or like I'm running from a, a monster, and, and I'm like watching it just like tear behind houses, and I'm trying to like get away, and I'm like, ooh. So it's, it's just, I, I love dreams, but I, I cannot stand those kinds of dreams. And when, when you think about that feeling, like in your dream, like you see what needs to happen, like there's something that you're excited about, you're trying to get to, something you need to get away from and you can, something you need to accomplish and you can't do. When I think about that, I, I feel like that would probably describe many of our spiritual journeys. Like when we think about this, this desire we have of this spiritual life, this spiritual reality, we often feel like... We know what we need, we know what we want, but we just don't seem to be able to get there by, by what we know to do. And I don't think this is just for Christians. I think this is for anyone who, who sees that there is a spiritual reality in this world and desires to be a part of it. I think this applies to all of us. And so, you know, and it's interesting, back when I was, I think it was like late high school, early college, I, I, there was this season where in my dreams, I would realize that I was dreaming in my dream because I wouldn't have my contacts in. Like, and I may as well have had LASIK surgery because like, I just kept those, those puppies in all the time. And they would tell me, you can get an eye infection. And I was like, well, we'll deal with that when it comes, I guess. But I would have them in all the time. And in my dream, I would look around and things would be blurry. And I was like, and literally, like, I started figuring out that I was dreaming and I started controlling my dreams for a short, this doesn't happen anymore. Um, but it was interesting, like I was able to overcome. And so like, you know, just like that little thing that liberated me in my dream, well, if you feel this way, if you feel sluggish, if you feel held back, if you feel like there's just something you can't get past to experience the spiritual reality, like you're, you're looking for that thing to liberate you. And ultimately, we must start with the understanding that Jesus is our liberator. He liberates us. You know, Romans tells us that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. And so the fact that Jesus is our liberator, he is the one who ransomed us, who overcame our bondage to sin and death, who delivered us, who made us right with God, who gave us his righteousness and grace as we believe. So ultimately we have to understand that positionally before God, eternally before God, Jesus is our liberator. But as far as experientially speaking, walking in that freedom, we have to see 
that there is actually more to living free. And so first off, if you are not a Christ follower, if you're, if you're kind of kicking tires, if you're, if you're a skeptic, if you just don't believe, but yet you would consider yourself spiritual, I just want to tell you lovingly, there is no freedom outside of Christ. Every endeavor, every pursuit will be futile. It may satisfy for a short time, but ultimately it will come up short. Jesus is our liberator. But as we seek to live freely, as we are in Christ, we must pursue this life with patience, with endurance, and with grace, but also we must pursue the disciplined life. We spent a lot of time over the last couple weeks looking at the heart of the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, which is what we're talking about. And, and just to, to review really quickly, fundamentally, a spiritual discipline is shown to be anything that is an effort to take appropriate measure to grow in godliness and deny our life of flesh that leads us away from God. Okay, let me say that again. A spiritual discipline is shown to be anything that is an effort to take appropriate measure to grow in godliness and deny our life of flesh that leads us away from God. And to be, again, to be really clear, the disciplines do not save us. They do not transform us. Again, only Jesus does that, but these, these, this discipline, the life, the life lived unto God, we saw that they are guides. They guide us into freedom and vic- freedom from sin and victory. They guide us to deeper intimacy with God, and they guide us to grow in Christ-likeness. So as we look at the disciplines, we'll look at how each one results and, and works as those guides. So uh, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, 6. We also use the YouVersion uh, Bible app, uh, Live Events. So if you're using that, go down to the More tab on the bottom right, look for Events, and uh, you'll see us pop up, and we have all the scripture and some other stuff uh, for today. Um, also, if you would just like to have to follow along in the paper Bible, it'll be kind of a Bible drill today because we're jumping around a lot. Uh, but there is a Bible near you under a chair if you need one. And if you don't have a Bible at all, we would love for that to be our gift to you. But just real quickly, to kind of set our motivation, to set our hearts for the day, to hopefully give us some kind of gumption to dive into this and to maybe humbly consider um, the outcome of, again, a life Given, lived unto God, given to him, living disciplined lives for him. I want to read this passage from 1 Timothy 4. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8, and then we'll pray. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I've used godliness, the term godliness, a few times, and it's also in this text. Just to to give a quick definition, when we say pursuing godliness, we're talking about pursuing a life lived for God's glory, lived in his power, and lived in his way, living out his truth, his commands, his character, 
And we do this in every way, and it washes over all of life. And so it's not compartmentalized. It consumes everything. So to, to, to pursue godliness is, again, to pursue living a life unto God. Pursuing godliness is where we find and experience present and future hope, purpose, and joy. And so just as our thesis, or, or just kind of as our, again, hopefully something to, to awaken our motivation to dig into this. Um, I, I pray that we would see that. Let me pray before I go any further. God, we love you. Um, I pray that that's the confession of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that right now as we come before you, as we come uh, before your, your truth, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be would be open. I pray that our, our, our postures would be humble. I pray that our appetites would be great, Lord, for what you have. Lord, I pray for those that, that have surrendered their life to Christ and are, are pursuing the life unto you, following him. Lord, that um, we would hear your invitation, your promise, and your purpose for us today. I pray if there's anyone here that does not uh, know Christ or does not have not surrendered or does not believe, I pray that they would see your heart. I pray that they would taste your goodness and know your love. And Lord, that would be the beginning of this process as we journey toward you. Lord, give us unity in Christ. Lord, let us live with power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I need to talk through a few categories that will be helpful for us. So when we think about these spiritual disciplines, these, these efforts unto God, there's a trajectory to them. There's a direction to them. And so um, first, we want to see that there are what we would call the inward disciplines. And these categories come from Richard Foster, which, you know, we... we um, we, we put up a list of uh, resources last week. His book was one of them, The Celebration of Disciplines. But there's a trajectory, and one of them is inward disciplines. And so an inward discipline would be an individual pursuit primarily oriented toward personal attitude change and developing the inward reality of a transformed person. So that's the inward disciplines, the, the, the efforts the intentional efforts that result in that inward change in reality. Then we have the outward disciplines, those, and that is an, indiv an individual pursuit primarily oriented toward personal behavioral change resulting in an outward lifestyle that reveals the manner of the Messiah to the world around us. It reveals the love of God expressed and given in Christ to the world around us through our lives. And then we have the corporate or communal disciplines. And these are individual pursuits expressed in experience as a part of the body of Christ. They're the one another expressions. So we'll be working through these disciplines as we go and we'll be kind of looking at these different traje trajectories but let it be said that all of the disciplines primarily accomplish an internal work, an internal work. The, the primary output is that they transform us from the inside out. So even though they're expressed in these outward different ways, the primary work is internal. And this is important to remember. We've talked a lot over the last week about kind of our tendency to, to kind of venture into legalism, to make these things about control and measure, and remembering that the primary work, the primary output is an, of one of internal change. This helps us to avoid turning these disciplines into laws or weights and measures that we get to hold ourselves up against or try to control others with. 
So we want to remember that. And then secondly, we talked, so we see the trajectory of the disciplines. We also see these other two categories of the disciplines, and that is of abstinence and engagement. At times, our disciplines will be an act of denying something, and other times, they'll be an act of pursuing something. So when we're denying something, we're, 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 we're abstaining. When we are pursuing, we're engaging. Again, these, these categories come from Dallas Willard. Again, I would highly recommend his book. But when we think about abstinence, there's a, a really wise guy named W.R. Ng, and uh, he says it this way. He says, if we feel that any habit or pursuit harmless in itself is keeping us from God and seeking us deeper in the things of earth, if we find that things which others can do with impunity are for us the occasion of failing, then abstinence is our only course. So we see, again, if our heart's desire is above all else to glorify God, to walk in communion and unity with him, and to, to, to again, to, to reveal his love and truth and character to the world, then whatever pulls us away from that, we should desire to pull away from it. And we see that an important thing to see is that it's not necessarily something bad. It's not something, it doesn't, just because we pull away from it doesn't mean that it's wrong. There are plenty of things that aren't wrong that maybe just might not be good for us, like eating ice cream after 11, or like me wearing skinny jeans. Like I, I just, it's not wrong, it's just not right for me. And so as we think about where we are, because again, we, we there is God's, like God's truth is absolute, but because we are uniquely made and uniquely experiencing this life, we, we will go in and out of seasons of needing to pull away from different things and engage in other things. When we think about engagement, abstinence sets us up well for engagement in the good things of God. Without abstinence, we will be so full from indulging the lesser temporal gifts of this world that we will have no capacity for desiring anything else. You heard it your whole life. Before dinner, you would say, hey, mom. Can I have a snack? No, you'll ruin your dinner. Same thing, like as if we are just indulging and just partaking of every temporal good thing, even though it may not be necessarily bad, but we're just constantly taking in and we never deny, then we'll never have room to actually feast on what is good from God. So it's important to see that both abstinence and engagement are necessary. They counterbalance one another. As abstinence helps us against sins of commission, the ones that we, we do with action, engagement helps us against sins of omission, those born out of apathy or fear or rebellion. So also, if we practice, if, we, if all we practice is denial, then we'll quickly lose sight of the vibrancy and livelihood of our faith, of our life in Christ. Again, remember what Jesus promised in John 10. He says, for I have come to, to bring life and life to the full. Again, that's not materially speaking. That's speaking of satisfying our deepest needs and desires. So if all we do is deny, we will quickly lose sight of that. If all we practice is, is partaking the forward pursuit and never deny, we'll forget that our hope is not in this world. We'll forget that in ourselves, we'll start to find hope in ourselves because our satisfaction will only be in what we accomplish. 
So although withdrawal is necessarily, we, we must, we must pull away from, ultimately our growth comes from action and engagement. And as we work through these, we'll see that even the denial is active because we're actually pursuing something greater when we deny something lesser. So Dallas Willard describes these, these disciplines, the, the, the standing and engaging disciplines as the outbreathing and inbreathing of our spiritual lives. So as we look at these disciplines, I'm going to point out, um, you know, again, the trajectory of them as well as whether it's one of abstaining or engaging. And, and I've had to call an audible again. Um, I seem to be a little bit too over-optimistic about what I can accomplish. Like when we bought our house we live in, we wanted to remodel the kitchen and paint the inside and outside. And I was like, I'll have it done in two weeks no problem, like, and I meant it, and Amber was like, ah, I don't know about that, and I was like, I will, in like two months, three months, how long, three months, three months later, with the help of 17 friends from here, we finally got into the house, but so I, so I, I thought this was a four-week series um, on spiritual disciplines, um, today we're going to cover prayer, um, and, and so uh, what we're going to end up doing over the next year is just kind of having little commercial breaks where we'll take a Sunday and focus on a spiritual discipline. We'll hit one more next week, and we'll just kind of take it as we go. Um, and if we can cover two in a week, we'll cover two. Otherwise, we'll just kind of let it lead us as we go. So we'll, we'll do another week of spiritual disciplines next week. Then we'll take our four weeks of social responsibilities. Then we'll venture back into Romans. But then we'll just throw in little commercial breaks, a little attention span grabbers as we, as we need to. So, so look forward to that. It's, it's a highly practical but also deals with the heart uh, endeavor. So uh, today, like I said, we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of prayer. And I'm going to... Uh, we're going to make it. This is good. So prayer. So prayer, let's define it really quickly. Prayer is an inward discipline of engagement where we converse and communicate with God. That is aloud or within our thoughts. So that's just playing out the definition of what prayer is. An inward discipline resulting in an inward attitude change, awakening us to the reality of, of, this, of who God is and who we are in him. An inward discipline of engagement where we converse and communicate with God aloud or within our thoughts. So the heart of prayer, when we think about the heart of prayer, I think this verse lays it out really well, Psalm 5.3. And by the way, if you just want to see someone pray well, read through the Psalms. Like there is oh, just the heart of prayer so, so, so well presented there just by observing someone come before God with just as they are in the midst of their life, laying bare before him, crying out. So I, I just love Psalms for this in general, and I would highly recommend you spending time in Psalms. But Psalm 5.3, and this is from the CSB version. I just really think this interpretation um, holds to the original language really well. It says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. That verse captures the heart of prayer so well. It's personal, it's urgent, it's dependent, it's expectant, it's bold. So just right there, the heart is there. See it, it isn't dry, it's not mechanical, it's not, it's not a tick mark on your achievement list. It's personal, it's dependent, it's urgent, it's expectant, it's bold. 
when we think about prayer, it's worth talking about meditation just for a second because uh, you can look at meditation and it can be considered a separate discipline, but, but it also can be a part of prayer. But either way, we want to define it just to help us kind of see the full facets of what we have an opportunity with. Um, so when we think about prayer, a significant part of prayer is listening. We have to be listening. Because again, it's, when we think about this de- definition, to converse, that's an exchange. To communicate, it's an exchange. So listening is a really important part of prayer. But listening, the primary opportunity for listening really comes in the quiet and in the stillness of meditation. So when we think about meditation, the, the part where we intentionally just sit still, get quiet, and we listen well, Meditation is where we hear from God. It's where we hear from him and are moved to obedience. So this is obviously a part of prayer. And as we're thinking about prayer today, but as, and as we're speaking about it, we, ought, we, we certainly want to include this, this work of, of listening and stillness. But we're also looking at the bigger picture of prayer that we're talking about here. It's the more active and interactive reality of this exchange between us and God. Prayer is meant to be conversational and communal. We must remember that we are in, a, in an abiding relationship with God. Abiding is just constant, is what we mean. It's constant, it's always present, it's engulfing. We must remember that we are in an abiding relationship with God where we are always, always journeying together with him and as a people of his kingdom toward the culmination of his kingdom. And again, I know that in these, in these sermons, there's often language that may be foreign to you, and we can't possibly try to define every single kind of biblical word or, or, or churchy word, um, but please know that that's great fodder for future conversation, either in living rooms or over coffee or just a phone call. So if you want to, so I know that like kingdom is a big concept, but it's also one we address pretty regularly, but just meaning that he is, he is our ruler, he, he cares for us, he leads us, he rules us, and we are ultimately um, a part of his redeeming work where all is restored um, completely. So because prayer is much more about communing with God over the things of life, it is oriented more to that which is progressive and resulting in action. Prayer is meant to be something experienced and shared with God as we are people along the way. So that's why it's progressive and resulting in action. So when we think about prayer, just the practice of prayer, what's our opportunity? How do we go about it? On the one hand, one of the most wonderful things about prayer is that it demands no set time, it demands no set place, and and it demands no preparation necessarily. Like, it, it is always present and available. After all, Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing and to call on God with every single care and need that we have. We see a few verses here. 1 Thessalonians 5 to 17 says, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So because we are, are, because we are fallen people, because we don't have infinite wisdom, ability, 
or knowledge, we will constantly find ourselves in times of need, in times of bewilderment, in times of lacking understanding. And so we should not have any kind of, any kind of obstacle, any kind of barrier to just in that moment coming to God saying, here, this is what I have, this is what I know, I need you. So that's one of the beautiful things about prayer, but, but again, that doesn't speak to the disciplined life. That does speak to a beauty of our understanding of who God is and his desire for, for this relationship with him. But when we think about the prayer that continually transforms, we're talking about here the kind of prayer that will be considered the prayer that transforms us to being liberated from sin, closer to God, and growing in likeness. So although the root of prayer is always the same, it's always relational, Every prayer, we have to see it as relational. There's a need for us to set time purposely aside to pursue prayer. So we want to set time aside regularly and often. Regularly and often to pray. Now, I've heard things like this, and they're great things, but you know, like one is like, you say you're too busy to pray. I say I'm too busy not to pray. Or I heard a sermon like when I was in college, this guy, he was like, he was, he was reflecting on Martin Luther's statement. Mar- Martin Luther said, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. You're like, whoa. That guy, it was hilarious, he said, the only thing I learned was that I could sleep in some really weird positions. You know, because like, he's just trying to figure out ways to stay awake so he gets uncomfortable and he can just fall asleep. I can attest to that. And so, you know, prayer is not about volume of words. As a matter of fact, Jesus warns against this perspective of prayer. Matthew 6, 7 says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So what is prayer about? I've already said it a few times. Prayer is about communing with God. As you venture in this life along the way, seeking, pursuing, living you're communing with God, and it is life bears the impulse to pray. Prayer is about communing with God. Is it sinking in yet? Because again, one of the most guilt-inducing things for those who are who are call themselves Christians is prayer. Like, oh, I don't pray enough. I don't pray. Enough. I should pray more. I should pray more. I'm a bad prayer. I should pray more. And they just heap guilt upon guilt. Now, again, there should be a level of intentionality as we're talking about, but yet it is not about measuring up. It's about relationship. It's about communing. So you may or may not be able to spend three hours a day in prayer. But the heart of the matter is that you are in such an abiding relationship, a constant relationship with God, and all of your life, therefore, is an, an expression of who he has made you in Christ and how he has given you a new motivation for his glory and for the good of those around you that you actually do grow to see you need that much prayer. Who says it all has to be in three hours straight? If it's just like breathing in and out and breathing in for you, if it's relational, if it's constant, then again, like, yes, we, we, we will set some time aside, but also, I mean, like, just in the moments that you have, you'll still away moments to pray as you begin to see the world differently and you see that there's no way to overcome the temptation, the trial, and the hardship outside of God's provision of his hand holding you, his truth guiding you, his Holy Spirit empowering you. 
prayer will be much more constant. Again, you do need to be intentional. It's re- yes, it's relational, but intentionality does not suffocate relationship. My marriage with Amber, we want it to just be this beautiful, overflowing reality where we are just in love all the time, and we are just gushing all the time, and it's just an overflow all the time, and we don't even have to think about it. But the reality is, is that we don't drift to that. We drift towards selfishness. We drift towards apathy. We drift towards parallelism, just where she's living her life and I'm living mine. It is the intentionality, me setting time aside, me stopping before I come in and just resetting and saying, okay, I've given all this today. Now I need to give Amber and my family a little bit more like it's taking those intentions out or like protecting time or, or thinking about what is life giving for Amber and vice versa, that actually kindles romance. It actually kindles passion. And so again, intentionality, putting, putting effort and work and defining something does not necessarily have to strangle out relationship. It is only when those become the end of your effort that they will strangle out relationship. But when they are because of your relationship, they will bring life and flourishing. So we have to see, yes, be intentional, but always remember the foundation. So when we pray, it is a conversation. It is a give and take. You have to listen and you have to share. It is both. We are good at one or the other typically. And it's not just a therapy session. It's not just a shopping list. It is conversation, and it is much more about being concerned with what concerns God than just about it going well with your life. That is what prayer is about. It is about, God, make my desires yours. Make my will yours. Not, Lord, give me this, give me that. I don't like this. I don't like that. Now, again, praise God. He loves us in an understanding way. He meets us where we're at where we're at. He invites us to submit all of our cares to him. Again, don't forget all of those things. He is a loving father who loves you in an understanding way and accepts you just as you are so that he can continue to bring you to where you can be in him. But as you converse, think conversation, not just demands or measure up. So as you do this, be humble, be personal, be honest. Honesty comes out of trust. Honesty is birthed out of trust. Again, think of a close relationship with you that you have. Can you say you trust them if you cannot be honest with them? We can trust God. Be honest with him. He knows it anyway. He knows your hearts. He knows your minds. You're not hiding anything from him. Don't try to dress it up. Just be honest. Be specific and be bold. Again, not in an arrogance, but because, again, prayerfully, as you abide in him, your desires are becoming his, and so you're just bringing what you think he already wants to him. And so be bold. Another, another opportunity we have in how to pray is to pray scripture. What does that mean? Well, before I answer that question, the great value of praying scripture is that you know you are praying the will of God. You know you're already praying what he wants. Um, so I, I, I promise the only pre-work I've done in this is I, I picked a passage, Psalm 130. We're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to show you real quickly, a real quick example. We're going to pray Psalm 130 together. I have not gone through and tried to think about how to pray this. I only made sure that it wouldn't present anything awkward. Like I was doing a youth Bible study in Colorado back when I was like 
20. And I was like, guys, you know, you can, your scripture, you just need to know that it's, it's always good, da, da, da. And I was like, you can just turn to any scripture and it will always be encouraging you. And I just flipped the Bible open and I put my finger down and it started talking about the menstruating woman. And I was like, uh, let's try another one. <laughs> and so uh, that's the only thing I've done is just to make sure we weren't trying to pray about the menstruating woman today. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. Um, so Psalm 130, there's eight verses here. I'm going to show you real quickly how to pray scripture. Um, it's going to be on the screen. Here we go. This is a song of ascent. It says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities." Let's pray. Lord, I am before you now. Lord, coming to you just as I am. Lord, exalting you as God, trusting you over all things. And Lord, I pray that as I, as I present my need to you, as I come to you, Lord, I pray that you would just incline your ear to me, God. I pray that you would, that you would um, take what I pray, and Lord, and use it for your glory in my life and in the world around me. Lord, all I want is what you want for this world. Lord, we see that you are just. And Lord, if, if, if you held everyone, if you held all of us to account for our sin and for our rebellion, Lord, who could stand before you, God? Let me be humble before you. But then let me revel in your mercy and in your grace that you have made a way for us to stand because in you, there is forgiveness. Lord, so Lord, let me be in, help me to be in awe of you. Help me to see you as you are and me who I am before you. Lord, there is nothing more that I need than for your truth and your presence to overtake my life. Lord, I pray that as I long and as I wait, that there would be nothing that I wait for more than you, nothing that I long for more than you, nothing that I hope in more than you. Lord, give me great anticipation. I desire your will and your love in my life greater than anything. Lord, I pray that your people, your church, would hope in you and nothing else. I pray that, that the things of this world we would be grateful for that you have given, but they would never be what satisfies. They would never be what takes our attention over you, God. I thank you for your steadfast, enduring love that is always upon me. That your redemption is not going to run out, but is for all those who you call are in Christ. Lord, redeem. Let your work of redeeming be done. Lord, let us be a part of proclaiming Christ and let us see the name of Jesus lifted high in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I kind of just want to stop there. That's, what an opportunity. So pray scripture.
And I pray, <laughs> let us do that often together. Um, also pray with your imagination. Um, you know, I, uh, imagination is underrated. If we think about it, we are temporal people engaging in eternal God. We, we need imagination. We need imagination. We're going to hit a gap of reality, and so we need imagination. Don't be afraid. So as you pray with your imagination, what I mean is consider, like the mo- whatever drives you to praying to God in that moment, consider what you want. Consider what you need. Consider the thing that you are bringing to God, and then now consider what God would want. Listen, there's no point in saying, I need to pray for something when you know it's against God's design and desire, when you know it's against what God says is good. I'm praying, I'm trying to decide if I should move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't need to pray about that. There's no need to. to. God's already shown you that he has something better for you, that he's got a more satisfying expression of your relationship. You don't need to pray for that. So again, consider what you want, consider what you already know God wants, and then as you do that, allow a picture to be painted of what could be. And now, pray that specifically. Again, and then you're just submitting that to God. You're saying, God, here's what, here, here's what I, as, as I think about where I'm at and what I need and what I'm hoping for, and as I think about what you say is good and what you want, hey, Lord, I, man, let this be. If it's healing, let it pray for healing with confidence. If it's, for, if it's for opportunity, and as you go through this, pray for it with boldness. But at the end of the day, as you pray, you're submitting all things to God, trusting him over trusting yourself. So pray with imagination. Ask God what he wants of you and for you as you pray. Ask God what he wants for you and for you. Wants of you and for you. And then what do you do? Listen. How often do you just listen when you pray? Just listen for a while. Sit in the stillness and the quiet Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Then listen. And then respond. So let me help us out again by reminding us the vibrant prayer life comes from being a person along the way, a person on a journey with God. The journey drives your prayer. The life pursuing the glory of God for the good of others, expressing his heart for redeeming this world, drives your prayer. So quickly, the purpose, the output, the promise of prayer to wrap up. Um, Aren't you glad we're just doing one? Um, (laughs) We said, so we said prayer was active and progressive in what it produces. So what does it produce. Most importantly, as we live in this abiding conversation and communion with God, we learn the joy of how to live in relationship, to live in the Heavenly Father's presence. We learn the joy of abiding in God's presence. When the primary posture of prayer is relational, then it can only result in the deepening of that relationship. There's some wonderful outcomes of prayer as well. 
prayer guides us to freedom from sin by making you alert and able to withstand temptation. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Matthew 26.41, to the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What was the outcome of that night? Continually they fell asleep. Continually they didn't pray. What happened to Peter? He denied Jesus three times. He fell to temptation. Of course, in God's grace, he was restored and he became the rock in which his church was built on. But yet, what would have happened if they stayed alert, if they prayed? I don't know, but it's worth considering. Prayer helps us withstand temptation because we have such a present, better taste of what satisfies. I used to eat healthy a lot, and I quit. And... (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and then we were eating like blueberries and raspberries one day and like fresh fruit. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so good. Like how have I not wanted this? And it's because I have just grown dull to the better taste. I had grown dull. And so it is, it is as we pray, we gain a taste for the better, for what satisfies even greater. And that's how prayer delivers us from temptation. Prayer is a way of loving others. Prayer for others occurs when we love people enough to desire far more for them than we have the power to give. Prayer. Do you believe that God works supernaturally in people's lives? So if we meet a need that is beyond our means or beyond anyone else's. Therefore, we need a supernatural response. Only God can do that. So prayer is an expression of love for others. It's the posture of an advocate. Also, prayer, Richard Foster says, to pray is to change. What does that mean? To pray is to change. Once again, another marriage illustration. I pretty much only have a few categories of illustrations. When, 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 when Amber and I are, are, are kind of in our right mind and we're arguing and we get to an impasse, there are times we have done this and we've said, you know what, let's just stop and pray. Because when we get to the impasse, we're no longer able to see the other's perspective. We're no longer able to see how, how the other could be right. We're no, able, no, no longer able to see how I could possibly give up my position. So when we stop and pray, what that does is it forces us into a posture of humility and surrender and submission and puts us in a place, a a right environment for us to be changed. Prayer changes you because a sincere prayer demands that, humility and surrender. The change that God invites us into does not come from gritting our teeth. We don't get to achieve our own change. Again, remember, if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, there's a, we talked a little bit about um, what these, these disciplines actually do, how they put us in a place of experiencing the transforming work of Christ. 
this is how prayer changes us. It doesn't come through gritting our teeth. It comes from growing deeper and deeper in our relationship with God. It is the reality that God is love and wants us to know his love for us and wants to share a relationship with him, growing in love every day. Also, we're coming down the home stretch. Prayer is the place where we see the holiness of God mingle with the love of God. It is where we see truth and grace perfectly expressed. I, I had a friend, Robert Hurley, who would, I still have a friend, Robert Hurley, who would describe, he, he would describe this, this work of truth and grace in kind of the terms of the cross. And he's like, you cannot have a crooked cross. We have a tendency to elevate truth and, or to elevate grace where we want the hammer of God or we want the kind of the, the benevolent generosity of God and we kind of tend to elevate one or the other but the cross must be straight. There must be a, a perfect expression of both truth and grace and when we pray, we see these commingled because we get to come before a holy, awesome, majestic God who is like no other, who we are totally unworthy to be before but yet in his grace and mercy, he has made a way and ushered us in through Christ that we could come just as we are. He says, boldly approach the throne of grace. We're humbled and in all but boldly approach that throne. So the more, here, here's a really cool thing. The more we pray, the more we seek and want to pray. The more we see prayers answered one way or the other, the more we want to pray. Because again, as we do this, and as we grow in this, even when God says no, we start to see how that's for the better. And it actually, it's not just about getting our way. We're not trying to bend God's will to us in our prayers. We're saying, God, shape mine to yours. Prayer is a great reference point. It keeps us from drifting through life. It keeps us from falling asleep and unaware of how God is working. When we pray, and we pray consistently, and we pray specifically, and then we see, and when we see God respond and work, then we can remember, hey, that wasn't our doing. Hey, that wasn't their doing. That's God's doing. Prayer becomes a reference point. And when this happens, all these things, the power of God spills over into other areas of our lives as well. So your opportunity this week, as we think about growing in prayer, is one, just rest in grace. Don't dive headlong into guilt. If you haven't prayed in a while, don't go set out to pray three hours today, okay? Let's just, let's have grace, and then let's, let's practice some pace. Let's pace ourselves, What's, you know, thinking about prayer, it is learned, like the disciples asking Jesus in Luke 11, he, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So give yourself some time to learn. Remember, prayer isn't about an abiding relationship experienced along the way. Our mission statement is that we commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. We are people along the way being, being, being made more like Christ, being sanctified and set apart, being made more into his image and bringing, bring, increasing in capacity to glorify God over and over again as we go. So again, remember it's about an abiding relationship experience along the way. Think lifetime, not a 30-day challenge. Lifetime. And actually eternity. How about that? So, and then set time aside to pray by yourself. Like, it is great to have the freedom, and you should, to just stop in any moment to pray. And let me encourage you, if someone says, will you pray for me? 
if at all possible, just stop and pray right then. Like, keep all that up, but also set some time aside. And again, if you're at zero, start with one minute. Like, literally, where you shut everything down, and then just try one minute. And then if you, if you get to where one minute's great, then go to two or five or whatever. Again, one step at a time. But as you do this, be intentional about your time, avoid distractions, experiment with different times of the day to discover when you are most alert and engaged. Let's try to give God our best. If anything or anyone is worthy, he is. Maybe you could start a prayer journal to see how God answers your prayers and what outcome over time you see. That's a really encouraging thing. Um, Also pray with others. It is personal and individual, but it's also meant to be experienced together. One of the core values that we have also is to live in biblical community. And we see in Acts that one of the characteristics, and we see it all through the New Testament, is, is of God's people is that we pray and that we pray together. So it is individual, but it's also together. So make sure to pray together. And, and I would just say, like, again, unless you just can't, when you're with the body of Christ, pray. As people share, pray, and then also pray for the world around you. So if we believe this, this journey we are on with God in Christ is relational, spiritual, and eternal, we must seek the life of abiding prayer. Prayer acknowledges that God is real, that he has given us relationship with him in Christ, and that his purpose is our purpose. Our hope is that our prayers grow in expressing the reality that we have a loving and holy heavenly Father that has redeemed us so that we could glorify him by knowing him and being known by him. Let me pray. God, I, um, I just, I'm humbled that right now we are conversing with you we're communing with you, creator God, holy, sovereign God, creator of all things, the transcendent one, way beyond us. And Lord, that in your love and mercy and grace, through Christ, you have brought us near. And Lord, you have desired relationship. And so I pray against guilt. I pray against us making prayer some kind of metric for our spirituality, some way of us measuring up to your standard, but to see that you you made us measure up in Christ, and Lord, because of who we are, Lord, and because of the purpose of our life, Lord, that we would be driven to prayer, to relating with you, to abiding. We thank you that in prayer, We are given strength and fortitude against sin. We thank you that in prayer, our intimacy with you is increased and we grow deeper and we know your joy all the more. Or let us see our journey in the terms of of eternity and in this life, a whole life journey because we are never done with you and I'm grateful for that. So let us continue to worship now, Lord, with this posture of of awe and humility and, and love. Lord, as we continue to respond through communion, in Jesus' name, amen.